From Church on Morgan, a United Methodist congregation whose desire is to be a reminder of the beauty of God and each other. This podcast is a collection of Sunday teachings inspired by the Revised Common Lectionary and recorded weekly in Raleigh, North Carolina. And now, a moment of silence before this episode begins. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning's scripture lesson comes from the gospel according to Luke. In fact, we're actually going to be reading the very end of his account of the life of Jesus. Um, This is where he wraps up volume one before he begins volume two, known as the Acts of the Apostles. And so today we look at this ending and how it is that Luke chose to tell us about Jesus' final days on earth. So here now, reading from Luke 24, verses 44 to 53. Jesus said to them, that is the disciples, These are my words, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, He said to them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and a change of heart and life for the forgiveness of sins must be preached in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look, I'm sending to you what my father promised, but you are to stay in the city until you have been furnished with heavenly power. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, where he lifted his hands and he blessed them. As he blessed them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem, overwhelmed with joy. They were continuously in the temple praising God. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know if you're aware, but today is like one of the big days in the life of the church. Christians all over the world are celebrating what's called the Feast of the Ascension. Well, the purists actually celebrated it on Thursday, uh, because that's when the Ascension takes place, 40 days after Easter. Uh, But for those of us who can't be bothered with more than one service a week, uh, we do it on Sunday. So, It is one of the high water marks in the life of our faith. In fact, if you think about the fact that there are 60 some odd, we call them books, right here in the scriptures that tell the story of God, and all of it, uh, by the wisdom of the church, has been condensed into a creed that we will read together later in this service that's just three paragraphs. You would imagine that the things that fit in those three paragraphs must be really important. We would say they're the essentials to our faith. The kinds of things that we would say, if, if you want to ask us what we believe, we're, we're willing to at least say that. And much of the rest is conversational, but we're committed here. Of the few things that make the creed, one of them is the ascension, this moment that we're celebrating today. And so uh, it lives in the same world as like um, Christmas, the story when the God of creation took on flesh and joined us so that we might see and come to know what God is like. 
Uh, you celebrate that by parties and fancy clothes and gifts and surprise trips, right? Uh, Jesus lives a remarkable life of love, beautifully putting on display the grace of God so that all might see and then is unjustly murdered and killed on Good Friday, only to be surprisingly raised from the dead on Easter. And we celebrate that with eggs and pastels and all kinds of stuff, right? Um, Easter bunnies and chocolate and the rest. And then we get to the ascension, uh, which you all celebrated this week at your homes with friends and family as you invited them over. And yeah, you didn't celebrate, did you? Yeah. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor says that ascension is the most forgotten feast day in the life of the church. That ascension is the most forgotten feast day in the life of the church. And she says the reason she thinks that so is that it's hard to celebrate being left behind. It's hard to celebrate being left behind, which reminded me this week that like going away parties are my least favorite kind of party. Uh, in fact, I don't even think they should be allowed to use the word party, right? Uh, going away parties are terrible. Going away parties suck. If you haven't been to one in a while, let me tell you what they feel like. Somebody reaches out and says, hey, we're moving to Charlotte, right? Uh, to which we're all like, why? Why would anyone move to Charlotte? Um, <laughs> but okay. And so we're going to have all of our friends over to our house on Friday night for a last sort of hurrah, uh, goodbye party, say farewell, um, and you all week sort of dread that date. Uh, there is nothing about this party that feels like any other party we go to. We have conversations about do we actually have to go? Like, this won't be a good time, not my idea of good fun Friday night. We, we walk in, we all act positive and happy, but the whole time there's this running monologue of like, like, should we talk to them now or do we wait till later? If we talk to them now, do we say goodbye now? Do you have to say goodbye again later? Like, is this the last thing? And like, how many lies should we exchange about the sort of relationship we believe will take place on the other side of this move, right? Like, oh, we'll, we'll call and we'll vacation and I'm sure we'll text and we're, I can't, it's going to be fantastic. And meanwhile, you don't really believe any of it, right? You end up saying goodbye way more times than you want to. Everyone awkwardly limps away. And you've got this kind of relational hangover for a couple days of sadness and grief about the end of a season or a chapter and another person that you'll never see again. It isn't exactly a party. It's hard to celebrate. It's no reason, that, no surprise that we don't throw big giant Ascension Day parties, the day that Jesus left the earth in this bodily form and ascended back to heaven. It's a hard thing to get emotionally behind I wonder if you have any going away moments happening in your life right now. I wonder if there are any transitions or endings or relationships that are coming to a close. I wonder if there are any vocational dreams or decisions that are wrapping up. I wonder if you're walking with the same sort of sense of dread about uh, finishing something, ending something, and, and not feeling equipped of how you might do that. There's so many goodbyes, so many awkward goodbyes. In fact, it seems to me that almost every goodbye feels awkward to me these days. Um, over the last three years, there were countless goodbyes that took place even in our community, in our church. Most of them were never spoken. Uh, most of them never happened, but I get to relive them most every day of the week when I go to a public coffee shop and see folks who said goodbye but never said goodbye, Right? You have similar versions of that in your life. We, we do not like 
goodbyes. They feel, we love beginnings, but goodbyes feel really awkward to us. I stumbled across this beautiful letter from the poet um, John Keats that he wrote at the end of his tragically short life. And he wrote it to a dear friend. And in it, he said, um, I, I have the hardest time saying goodbye. In fact, I can't even seem to do it to you in this letter. And whenever I do try to say goodbye, somehow I awkwardly bow, right? It's like this one little random detail. He's just sort of painting the picture of like, when we find ourselves in a moment of goodbye, we literally don't even know what to do with our hands. And we find ourselves just like bowing. And we're like, why did I bow? I, why, did I, why was that the last thing I said? You know, this is how like every goodbye feels. Uh, just two weeks ago, I was reminded of this when we said goodbye to Kylie being on our staff here at the church. Uh, she's been our kind of director of operations for six years. And uh, on Wednesday, a week or two ago, it was her final day in the office. And she uh, arrived that Wednesday morning a little bit late. We let it slide. Um, <laughs> carrying donuts. She's never brought donuts before. She said, I got up this morning and I asked my husband, like, what do you do on your last day? I think I might bring donuts. And so she walks in with donuts and goes, I don't know why, but I brought donuts. And uh, I also don't understand this, but our entire staff right now is living these kind of masochistic diets. And so like nobody ate any of the donuts. And they just sat in the hallway all day and we just sort of walked around the donuts. And at the end of the day, everybody abandoned me and it's just Kylie and I left in this building. And I had to be here because I had a meeting, so I couldn't leave. And she just says down the hallway, well, I think I'm going to go. And I join her in the hallway, and we walk to the wood door and awkwardly sway for a little bit, and I might have even bowed, and then, <laughs> and then she walked out, right? We, we hate goodbyes. We don't know what to do with goodbyes. And this is why most of us, we actually have two strategies. I'm kind of curious which one you fall into. The first is my preferred version of a goodbye, uh, which is uh, lovingly called the Irish goodbye. Some of us know what this one is, right? I didn't know this. I heard this this week, and I apologize to the Irish folks in the room. I'm going to make it up to you by the end. Promise. I, I, I promise. But um, one etiology or explanation for why we call it the Irish goodbye, which is when you just leave without saying anything, you're just sort of like, and I'm gone, right? <laughs> um, that's the Irish goodbye. Apparently, I never connected these dots. Apparently, the reason they say that is because um, the, the background story is if you were to tell people you were leaving, they would take your keys. And so you just don't tell them so you can go. This is not why I participate in the Irish goodbye. I've never thought of it that way. For me, it's just like so much cleaner, right? And um, I've been doing this since college. Even when I was younger, I loved to uh, go to bed early. And so when I was like 21, I mean, I was, I was a ball of fun. But like I would go out with my friends to a party and it'd be about 10, 15. And I would wait till everybody was having just enough of a good time or getting drinks to like and then I'd run to my car. And this became a thing so much so that they would watch me like a hawk. And the second I started to move, they'd tackle me, drag me back, and make me like hang out longer, right? Uh, a week ago, my wife and I were at someone's house for dinner, and I just looked at Nicole and said, I'm leaving. And I walked out, <laughs> I had our salad bowl, and I was waiting at the car because I forgot the keys. And 
Um, I stood out there for five minutes holding my ground uh, while she did a different approach. Uh, in fact, I think the reason I love Irish goodbyes so much is because I grew up in a house that did Midwestern goodbyes. Do you know about these? A Midwestern goodbye is when you're at someone's house and um, you can Google it. There are people who say it's a 12-step process, but <laughs> it starts with kind of patting your thighs and going, Welp, <laughs> I think we should be getting going. And from there, you stand up and you hug every living soul in the house. And after you've hugged every person, you negotiate whether we'll be taking leftovers or not. And then uh, we do a last call on the bathroom check to see if anyone needs to use the restroom. And we slowly begin the walk to the door, stopping to have a couple conversations on the way. Once we get to the door, we have another conversation. Uh, perhaps there's another round of hugs. We ask, where are our coats? We go retrieve the coats. We come on back. Um, at a certain point, someone finally cracks the door open and you get to step one foot out the house and have kind of a few closing remarks before you get to your car and from there say, sincerely, it was the best. We can't wait to see you again. Thank this is the 45, right? I grew up in that agony. And so for me, it's like, I'm leaving. And then we go. <laughs> this is how we handle this painful goodbye thing. I, I asked a friend this week who's a really thoughtful individual. I said, what is it about us? Like, why, why are we so cool with like beginnings, but we just don't know what to do with endings? And he said, I, you know, we obviously we don't like endings. We don't like saying something's over. My hunch is that our therapist would tell us that deep underneath of that is because we have this aversion to the truth that in this life, nearly everything ends, even us. And every goodbye is just this sort of reminder that nothing seems to last forever, that this thing is more fragile than we imagine that relationships and experiences and seasons of life that we thought would go on forever don't. Nothing does. And so we, we just avoid it. We distance ourselves from it. And with all these goodbyes kind of going on in our life and in my life and our church's life, this week, as I was looking at this ascension text, I wanted to see how Jesus handles a goodbye. Uh, it's clear that it was important. Luke includes it, not only in this book, but in his next book, it's how he warms up. He revisits the goodbye. And uh, I got to be honest, I didn't like how it starts. We don't get a ton of details, but the first thing we're told is that Jesus, he doesn't do an Irish goodbye. I hate to break that to you. He lets them know that he's wrapping up his time and he's got some things he wants to say to them, um, but he decides to take them somewhere. He doesn't just do it where they are. He leads them to this place called Bethany. It was kind of a neighborhood on the outskirts of Jerusalem, about two miles, uh, kind of uh, like an afternoon walk. And if you know anything about Jesus' life and ministry, and you've got any sort of goodbye anxiety going on inside of you, you're already not excited about this destination. Um, essentially, Jesus is taking his disciples, his friends, to the most memory-rich environment they have together. Bethany is where his best friends lived, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It's where he couch surfed. It's where he spent so much of his time. It's the place where he was first anointed, where Mary poured out perfume on his feet and kind of spoke the beautiful promise over his life. It's the location where 
He did his most amazing miracle of all and raised Lazarus, one of his best friends from the dead. It's where he spent his last week, uh, Holy Week, before he would go to the cross. It's where he started his Palm Sunday march. This place was just dripping with memories. If you're looking for an unemotional, clean goodbye, you don't take, if you're Jesus, your friends to Bethany. And he does so anyway. And he takes them there. And this week, as I've just been imagining, all the memories that they would have had that we don't even have access to, all the little conversations, all the breakthroughs, all the laughs, all the late night experiences, the, the bumps in the wall and the scratch on the table and somebody who graffitied it underneath, whatever, right? As they're sitting there, um, the, the emotional sense I got is like, if there was a soundtrack to this dinner, it, it would probably sound something like this. I don't know if you know this song, but... Uh, so... It's like the saddest song ever. So part of the reason I play that for you is so you can feel the emotional tenor of this moment. The other reason is because I asked Maggie, who runs our media stuff this week, if she knew who Boys to Men were. And she said, I don't think so. (laughs) And then I asked our intern and she said, I've never heard of them. Um, So this is unforgivable. Um, So that's Boys to Men for those of you who don't know. Uh, And it's just the saddest goodbye song ever. This is what the room feels like. And so we would totally understand to hear that on the other side of probably the hardest goodbye in human history, imagine having a front row seat to the life of God. I mean, and then for Jesus to say, I'm leaving in that sort of environment, in that sort of place. It's not surprising that the disciples find themselves completely heartbroken and are weeping profusely and immediately begin to wonder, how do we move on from this and just forget this ever even happened? The problem is, that's not what happens. That on this, the most emotional goodbye in human history, the one thing that Luke tells us about their response is he says that on the other side of this goodbye, they returned to Jerusalem full of joy full of joy, which just to me was like, are these guys like sociopaths? Like, have you ever walked away from a going away party and been like, that was awesome. This is where they're at. It says they, they, they immediately went back home, overwhelmed, filled with joy, singing as they went. And so I want to zoom in for a second and figure out what was it about this party that feels different than all the parties I've been to? What is it about this goodbye that seems different than the many goodbyes that I have found myself in the middle of and shared with others? And this is what we're told. The part of the wonderful alchemy that Jesus does here, which shouldn't surprise us because isn't this what he's always doing? Taking a moment where we would go, this is a moment of mourning and turning it into dancing. Taking death and bringing forth life. Uh, Finding a moment that feels like an ending and somehow in the middle of that creating a whole new beginning. And and I wonder, what is it? How is he doing it? What is Jesus up to that could change something like that and make it into something like that? And this is what we're told, that at the end of this party, in this profound location, he stands up in front of his friends He raises his hands, a memorable gesture, jogging their memory of other endings, other moments of suffering, 
other places where they thought they couldn't go on, and somehow they went on. He looks at them, eyes wide open, offers this profound prayer of blessing over their life. And as a result of this moment, uh, this sort of spiritual leadership, what goes from like an unimaginably painful goodbye becomes a, a place of great joy and celebration. This moment when uh, we stand in this posture with our arms raised, our head up, our eyes open, looking out, offering a prayer. You've probably seen this done in a church before. Uh, It happens here every Sunday at the end of the service. We call it the benediction. Uh, The classic name for this prayer posture is called the Iran's posture. It's the oldest prayer posture in the life of the church. We think about this. That doesn't really show up until like the 11th or 12th century. Our eyes closed, looking inward, hands grasped tightly, right? Like, preparing for impact. The, the beginning life of prayer in the ministry of Jesus was standing up, arms open, eyes wide open, looking out on this world in all of its blessing. For the first thousand years of the church, it was the predominant prayer posture of the church. Peter even says in one of his letters, I desire that God's people would pray standing, arms raised at all times and all places. It was such a powerful experience for them. This, this kind of moment, this thing that Jesus does that, that changes a, a prayer or a, a goodbye party into something so much more. It's what we call a benediction or a blessing, and that's actually sort of a technical term. If you've ever kind of gone forward in a church and somebody said, if you prefer not to receive communion, we'll offer you a blessing, or at the end of the service, like we talked about, a blessing, There's something unique about that moment. There's something powerful about that kind of spiritual activity that that God can use it to turn grief into celebration. And uh, the dean of Duke Chapel, uh, Luke Powery, he says that the reason why we often experience benedictions as being so powerful is that when they're done right or done in the spirit of God and the the model that Jesus gives us here at this going away party, what's actually happening is it's not really me speaking to you, that the proper form of a benediction is me almost channeling God speaking to you, that a great benediction sounds like God speaking to God's people about who God is and what God's going to do in your life. And that that sort of form is so remarkable that when someone does it well, it, it can change everything. Ironically, this little gift that we have as Christians called a blessing or a benediction that many of us have never explored, right? Ironically, the people who seem to have really cornered the market on it in our Christian family who know blessings better than anyone are, wait for it, the Irish, right? So Celtic spirituality are the people who in many ways re-centered and put blessings on the map for us Christians, re-taught us how to do this thing. John O'Donohue, who's one of my favorite uh, teachers in this area, uh, he has this wonderful book called To Bless the Space Between Us. It's just a collection of blessings. But in that book, he says this, that any blessing or benediction, what Jesus is doing there, though Luke gives us just very small details, but what's happening there and what we can tap into as well, has these like three or four simple parts. One, that you open your eyes, both literally, but also spiritually to the person you're sitting across from, and you look for signs of God's movement or activity in their life. That as you're with them, you're paying attention to how is God at work in this person's life. 
having seen a little glimpse of that. And some of you know what I'm talking about. It's starting to feel a little woo-woo, and I'm going to invite you to lean in. But as you're standing there with another human being and paying attention to how it is that God might be at work in their life, you come to a place where you're ready to offer them a blessing. And what you do is you first, you speak directly to them in the situation they find themselves in, and you call forth God's blessing to be poured out on them. And that's what he does in all of his blessings in his books. He thinks about certain people and certain situations and certain moments of what they're going through and says, I see where you are right now in this moment. I believe God is at work in your life. And I'm asking God to pour out God's favor in this direction specifically. And that this little spiritual gift that we have, this tool that we've been given, can completely drastically change the room. It, it can change the whole perspective of uh, other people. It's, it can bring somebody who feels like they're on the verge of death to life. This is the power of a good blessing. It's, to be honest with you, it's one of, it is my favorite thing that I get to do as a pastor. Uh, there, at this point, after 20-some years of ministry, there's not really anything I feel that precious about. I'd be happy for just about anyone to preach on a Sunday, sincerely, it's yours. But, but benediction is like one of these moments I'm still greedy about. Those last two moments, there's something about it that's so powerful to me to get to stand here and look at you and try as best I can, pay attention to what God's doing in your life and call forth God's blessing in your direction. I've seen it, the power of it, change lives through me and for me, right? This is, it's, and it doesn't just have to happen here on a Sunday morning. It can happen out in the real world. In fact, one of my, the holy moments I got to be a part of, which just happened this last week, I was sitting down with a friend, somebody I've known for 20 years and loved deeply, who's walking through uh, a miserable divorce. And I knew the second I sat down to that table, this was my job that there would be places to go, I hear you, and I'm listening, and I'm so sorry, but there would also be an opportunity for a blessing. If I listened closely, if I really looked with my eyes, there would come a time where I would get to say something in his direction, as humbly as I know how, on God's behalf, calling forth blessing. And it was the best hour I had this past week. Here's the thing. We assume it's for professional paid Christians like me. This is a gift that's been offered to all of us. That the same spirit that's in Christ is in you. That that same gift has been given to you to steward with your life and your relationships and your goodbyes and your endings and your transitions. In fact, we know this. It's right hidden in plain sight. Our word goodbye is a contraction that we've long forgotten, but it comes from God be with ye. Every time we say goodbye to someone, we're offering benedictions. We're looking at them and saying, the God who's been with you and has been with us will continue to be with you in whatever you face. It's like a simple template. God, goodbye. God be with you. It's not just English. Adios. Spanish. To God. Adieu. Or however French people say stuff. Right? <laughs> to God. We know there is a holy and beautiful way to mark endings and transitions and farewells, and it sounds like sending each other in the favor of God. And so this morning, I wonder 
if you've ever stepped into the authority of a moment like that. I wonder if you've ever tried on the gift and the power of a blessing on behalf of someone else. I wonder if you've come to see that as Christians, this is one of our superpowers. That when the world is terrified of goodbyes and endings, we see it as a a moment, an opportunity ripe with promise that we walk straight into, not trying to avoid it or prolong it or awkwardly bow through it or stumble with our words, but instead to step into it with power and offer a blessing in another person's direction, believing it can completely change the moment, their room, their lives. I have found this to be true. I want to invite you to join me in it. And as a way of modeling that this morning, I got a little goodbye myself I have to offer. Uh, I tried to negotiate for the first kind of Irish goodbye. I was like, um, if you haven't heard, and many people know, uh, the church has been incredibly generous to offer myself and my wife a sabbatical. Uh, And so for three months, uh, beginning this weekend, uh, I'm going to kind of go into hiding and um, and get off the grid a little bit for a season of rest and renewal. Um, and someone asked me this week, you know, when was the last time where you had more than, say, like two weeks off between preaching? And, uh, and the quick math is something like 23 years. And so I'm honestly a little disoriented. Like, I'm not sure how I'll spend three months. Um, I've been told I need to get out of town, so we're going to try and do that so I don't make a mess of this place or myself. And so uh, I'm not going anywhere in the sense of, like, I'm I'm coming back. I'm excited to come back, my wife and I too. Uh, but this feels like a beautiful promise, an opportunity for us to step away, to allow some other people to step up, some other folks to practice giving benedictions and know the joy of the ministry that I've been hoarding, right? Uh, and, and so uh, when it came to kind of announcing that, my thought was, guys, it's the summer. Everybody, nobody's even going to be around. They'll probably go to church like twice in the next three months. They'll just think it's a guest Sunday. Like, do we really have to say something? And they were like, no, I think you have to say goodbye. So this is me saying goodbye, and I'm going to leave you with uh, one of my favorite Irish blessings. Friends, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for joining today. If this episode has been meaningful to you, would you take a moment to share it with a friend? To support this ministry or learn more about our community, visit us at churchonmorgan.org.